Well, we've been in the book of Haggai, uh, and I was meant to be away for these two Sundays, but through all that's been happening in our churches, you'll notice that there's more people here. Uh, we have both Brankston and Hamo meeting here today. Uh, I am back preaching, and I'm preaching on Psalm 23. One of the things we've off, uh, since we planted this church, we use the Psalms in between bigger books of the Bible, and we've been working our way through. We're actually up to Psalm 22. But that's enormous, uh, so I decided to jump to Psalm 23 so that we can be encouraged by this wonderful, famous psalm. Uh, I pray that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, so over the next couple of weeks, next week we'll still be meeting here, and, and God willing, Tyler will be better and he'll preach uh, another just standalone sermon. And then the week after, we'll be back in the book of Haggai, uh, and we're hopefully going to try and try out a few different locations uh, uh, for where we will be meeting long term in the future. Uh, it is a bit up in the air. I pray that God will help us to grow in steadfastness, endurance and perseverance through the uncertainty of these times. I call us all to gird up the loins of our mind, take every thought captive, that if we are bitter or resentful about disorganization or whatever it may be, bring it into the light, confess it. Uh, and let's discuss it, because that is a better way to be than to harbour bitterness and resentment in our hearts. Cool. Right, we're in Psalm 23, uh, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to work through this, this passage. Well, hear the words of the living God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Beside still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Good and merciful Father, we come to your word again, and there is riches for us. We come to find rest in it, we come to find encouragement, we come to be reminded of the mission that is before us, we come to be reminded of who we once were and who we now are. Father, we pray, Lord, that your name would be exalted above all, that this would be for your name's sake, as our passage declares, and that we would be encouraged and built up. May you lead us in working through your scripture. May you help our hearts and minds to concentrate. And may this be for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let me go back to Psalm 22 again, and I'm reading from verses 16 to 18. 
Psalm 22 is the story of Christ on the cross. It depends on who you read or what Puritan, but Augustine, uh, early church father, would write that this was an inward glimpse of what Christ has experienced on the cross. That before Christ even went to the cross, David penned by the power of the Holy Spirit his experience. And it says in these few verses, For the dogs encompass me, a company of evil, evildoers encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And, and for my clothes, they cast lots. The first thing we, we should note in the canon of the Psalms that Psalm 22 comes before Psalm 23. That's logical, right? 22, 23. Uh, but we want to understand the content of Psalm 22 and see where it leads us into Psalm 23. You see, for the Lord to be your shepherd, you have to understand that the Lord had to suffer to make him your shepherd. We have to understand the suffering of Christ and Christ pouring himself out to the point where he says to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have to understand that it was our sin that pierced Jesus' hands and feet. It was our sin that made him feel that he's every bone in his body. It was our sin that mocked and gloated over him and divided his garments among them. The reason Christ was put into the hands of the Roman governors, uh, the Roman soldiers, and nailed to a crucifix was because God determined before the foundation of the world that His Son, the second member of, a member of the Trinity, would pay the price of humanity's sin. The one who comes to know Christ as the sacrificial lamb as the one who poured out his price for sin, becomes meek and poor in spirit. He is a man that finds that Psalm 22 is a familiar friend. The one who knows that Christ suffered for his sin is the one who can say, you are my shepherd, O Lord. He is a weary pilgrim finding rest, strength and hope in the words of Psalm 23. Let us not think that it's accidental that the the experience of the passion on in psalm 22 comes just before this incredibly famous psalm but we church get to cry together because of christ's death and resurrection my god uh, we can cry the lord is my shepherd in psalm 19 it says that the word of god is sweeter than honey the drippings of the honeycomb well, it could be said that Psalm 23 is the sweetest part of the honeycomb. If we've understood Christ's crucifixion, then Psalm 23 becomes such a delight to us. It really is fresh pastures to lie in and sweet water to drink. It is a word that we should read in the right seasons. We read it on the sunny, warm days and we remember it in the darkest winters. We read it in the feasts of celebration and we remember it in the mournful fasting. Spurgeon writes on Psalm 23, uh, It is but a moment's opening of his soul, 
like looking through the door into a celebration. Though the door shuts and leaves the night black, yet it cannot shut back again all that the eyes, the ear, the heart, and the imagination have seen. So we, we glimpse into the blessed goodness of our Lord and, and God, in, our, Lord, our Lord God in Psalm 23. And even though we shut the Bible and life's sufferings come upon us, those life's sufferings cannot blank out what we have seen of God's goodness, what we've heard of God's goodness, what we've experienced of God's goodness. Psalm 23 is for the Christian. It is, it is for the Christian to encourage themselves in the Lord. It is there to call us to, to, to build ourselves up and to remember how we are joined to Christ and through being joined to Christ, we have experienced the abundance of His goodness. Psalm 23 is there for us to read in the good times and remember in the hard. We're going to break this up into four different areas. It's uh, the good, the good shepherd, the helpful work of death, the peaceful fast, uh, feasting, and an abundance of confidence. There are four areas, and starting with the good shepherd, it says, in the first verse, my Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just, just think for a moment, all the different images or analogies that God could have given David to, to give an example of his relationship to his people. It could, have been, it could have been any of them, but he deliberately chose something David was so familiar with. The shepherd and his flock. The shepherd and his sheep. David, we know, was a shepherd boy. He was out in the field when Samuel came to call him. We know that famous line that when he goes to fight Goliath the giant, he trusts in God and says, The Lord has delivered me from the lion and the bear's mouth. He will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. David knew the bravery, the power that you needed to be a shepherd. The steadfastness that you needed the courage that you needed. He knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He also knew what it meant to be a sheep. Weak, dependable, defenseless, foolish. In the acknowledgement that the Lord is my shepherd, we are making a personal declaration that we are the sheep. It's a humbling statement. Lord, you are the shepherd and I am the sheep. David's not acknowledging strength in this statement. He's acknowledging his weakness. He's reminding himself how foolish he can be, how defenseless he is, how weak he is. He's placing himself in the position of one of the most, dependent, the, 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 the most uh, dependable animals that we could possibly have. The sheep are in need of the care of a shepherd or the flock is scattered and they are devoured. David shows us how we are to come before God. We are to come before God as weak, dependable, dependent, foolish sheep before their shepherd. All our protection, all our strength, all our courage, all our food and resources comes from the shepherd. 
If the shepherd is terrible, we are scattered. But we can be sure that the Lord is our shepherd. We see in verse 2 that God takes care of both our, verse 2 and 3, that God takes care of both our natural needs and our spiritual needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures, pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep are often grazing, right? That's what they do. They just graze for most of the day. And if they are in an abundant pasture, you will find that they may lie down satisfied in that pasture. It's very, it's uncommon to find an unsatisfied sheep lying down. So we see this beautiful picture of the sheep lying down in green pastures. They've been well fed. They've been given an abundance of resources. Uh, Calvin writes about a faithful Christian. He says, faithful Christians are striving to put their entire happiness in God. And this is what it means to be one of the Lord's sheep. To find happiness in the scriptures of truth. The scriptures are the abundant field in which we lie down in. It's a never-ending resource. We are refreshed. We are never exhausted. Uh, we, we, we never exhaust them. You can, you can consume and consume until you rest upon it. We rest upon the word of our Lord. That is what these rich pastures are for us. We see so many examples of what the, what the word is to us. It's milk to babies in 2 Peter. We are to, in 1, in 1 Peter 2. It is milk for infants. It is to uh, nourish, us, nourish us. It's a pasture to sheep. It's never barren. We never eat it bare. It's never parched. But always a green pasture for faith to feed upon. God gives us exactly what we need. We see this in Christ in his temptation. He's in the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. He's been offered food from the devil who after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and Jesus says uh, that he will feed upon the scriptures. I do not, we do not live on bread alone but on the scriptures. Every word that flows from the mouth of the Lord. We see in the New Testament that the, the waters are like the Holy Spirit. In John 7, 30, 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow, living, uh, flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When God leads us beside still waters, he is refreshing us with the Holy Spirit. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit as Christians. The Holy Spirit at this point in John 7 hadn't been given, but when the Spirit is poured out, we are sure that living, uh, rivers of living water will flow from us, from Christians. The Good Shepherd refreshes us with living water of the Holy Spirit. From the abundance, it flows to others. It flows out of us and to others. He restores my soul and leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
When our soul grows sorrowful, He revives it. The Lord, the good shepherd of our soul, He revives and sanctifies us when we are, when we are weak. One of the areas that I think we often overlook in the gospel is sanctification. We, we get justification, but we forget how glorious God's sanctifying work in us. That over time, He does away with sin. And He does away with sin through going through many different trials. He, he exposes it first, and then He deals with it. He cleanses us from it. We see in Psalm 19 as well that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law. The, the law that reveals our sinfulness is perfect and it revives our soul. It is the law that exposes sin that gives life to our soul because when our sin is exposed, it can be dealt with and put away with and buried under the, uh, buried under the weight of God's Scripture and the weight of the Gospel. Our shepherd, good shepherd, restores our soul by leading us back on to the paths of righteousness. The Christian is not obedient to some commands and neglectful of others. He does not pick and choose, but yields to all of them. Notice the plural is used, the paths of righteousness. He brings us to the paths of righteousness. All of Christ's commandments. We've touched on this many times over the last few months, that Christ's great commission was that we would go and teach the nations all that He has commanded. We need to first be those who love to do all that He has commanded. He restores our soul by leading us back to the path of righteousness for His name's sake. So often we can look up so many sermons on Psalm 23 and so little time is spent on this verse. We could have the Lord is my shepherd on shirts. We know the valley of the shadow of death, but how few times is for His name's sake pointed to? Why does God restore our soul? Why does He lead us on paths of righteousness? For His own glory. God is saving sinners so that His name is exalted. God is sanctifying you so that the God, the Yahweh God, the triune God, will be exalted by all the nations. He created us to be an image of Him. He created us that we would reflect Him. Our sinfulness fell short and instead of destroying us and wiping us out of existence, He saved us and is sanctifying us. May we read Psalm 23 and notice that it is all for the name of Christ. Your sanctification is so that Christ will be, be exalted, that, that the triune God will be glorified in all the land. There's one other thing to note in this verse. Uh, David, in referring to himself as a sheep, reminds himself how prone he is to wander from his shepherd. He's reminding us that we can become lost sheep. We can go missing. We can take wrong turns into sinfulness. But God doesn't hold that against us. For His namesake, He brings us back into the path of righteousness. He gives us repentance and leads us again 
beside still waters and nourishes us again in pastures of green. Verse 4 brings us to this helpful work of death, which is a strange phrase to think upon, but let's read it and, and unpack it. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The reality is there is no avoiding death. We are all going to experience death at some point. And we are all going to have the shadow of death upon us at some point. That may be through experiencing miscarriage. It may be through the death of a child or a spouse or a grandparent. It may be through the death death of a friend. But in the reality of the curse is that death has permeated all of culture. Genesis 3 happens, and then Genesis 4 takes place. Cain kills Abel. Genesis 5, there's a genealogy. This person had this many kids, he lived this long, and he died, and that's repeated many, many times. This weight of death is revealed from Genesis 4 to right through the Scriptures. Death has entered into the world, And therefore, all of us live in the shadow of death every day. Sometimes that shadow is darker than other times, when we've just experienced the death of a loved one, or when we've been diagnosed with something that could take our life, or we've had a near-death experience, or we just feel like we are so overcome with suffering and the weight of life's stresses are upon us that we just feel like we can't go on anymore. I'm sure Job felt like he was under the shadow of death. But death is helpful to us. It reminds us of our weakness. It it reminds us that we have to know whether we are right before God. The opportunities at death are the opportunities for those who are living to ponder their position before the living God. That they may consider, am I right with the Lord? Is he my shepherd? And am I, am I one of his sheep? Christian, because of Christ, you can face death well. The shadow of the ugly curse will cover you at some point, as it did to David. But he declares, I will fear no evil. Death is evil. It was never meant to take place. He will not fear it. Instead, he will trust that God is with him. And, uh, and this is an incredibly gospel, uh, uh, Christ-centric passage. It says, For you are with me. The immortal, invisible God is with us even when death is so near to us. In that Christ took on human flesh and entered into the death that we would experience. Christ when He promises, I am with you, or God throughout the Old Testament, God the Father, when He promises that He is with us, is so faithful to it that He even goes through the very thing that we are destroyed by. Christ was with us by facing not only the valley of the shadow of death, but the full weight of death itself. And He did it with joy set before Him. So David, with his hope in the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, with his hope in the coming King, Jesus, he remembers, he he thinks forward to the death of Christ. 
When death, death is near us, we need God's word all the more to comfort us. We need to be reminded of the green pastures that are in his word and the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead that will also raise us up with him. We need to remember our mortality and our weaknesses. And we need to become more dependent upon Christ. But there's another area that comforts us. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Placed directly after the valley of the shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd would lead with his rod and staff. He would have a crook on one end of it and it would draw the sheep back into line as they went away. It would be a weapon to defend off wolves as they came in to scatter the flocks. And it's this that comforts. The shepherd leads with his rod and staff. And he's leading them through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice also that he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. He needs not haste through it because he knows that in the midst of being in the valley of the shadow of death, something good is coming through it. You're being refined, you're being corrected, you're being strengthened, you're learning steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to force your way out of the suffering that you are experiencing. You don't need to force your way out of the grief, grief of mourning a loved one. You can be sure that the Lord with his rod and staff is protecting you and deliberately guiding you through it. Lamentation reminds us that his rod at times is affliction uh, under discipline. He says, I, uh, Lamentations 3, 1 to 3, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of, of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. See, the good shepherd at times will deliberately lead us into dark places. But he goes with us and we can walk slowly and steadfastly knowing that it is refining us and producing good in us. We need not fear of what is out there in death because the Lord himself is walking into it with us. This brings us to the third point, which is a peaceful fasting, uh, feasting. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. A good man, a good Christian, has enemies. He would not be like the Lord if he did not. If we were without enemies, we might fear that we were not the friends of God because the friendship with the world is enmity with God. We have to remember that Jesus himself said, they hated me first, therefore they will hate you. It's okay to have enemies. We need to have enemies for the right reasons. We have enemies because we refuse to move off the teachings of Christ. We refuse to move off the law of God. And if we have enemies for that reason... We can be sure that there is perfect peace in the midst of our enemies. Think of Jesus before he went to the cross. He says to his disciples, I eagerly desired to have this meal with you. Jesus sits down with his disciples and in his midst, Judas is there. He is having a meal in the presence of his enemy. And outside is the Jews' 
waiting as Judas will scurry off to betray him. Christ reminds us that we can eat in peace even if we are surrounded on all sides with the enemies because ultimately Christ will bring victory in the end. Even if our enemies surround us, we can be sure to have absolute peace. He is the Prince of Peace. What we see in David is that he is counselling his sufferings and his fears so that when they come upon him, he is not undone by them. He is not moping around or grumbling or complaining. He believes that his cup overflows. Christian, ponder in your heart, do you believe that your cup overflows? Have you been filled with the Word of God and poured out with the Holy Spirit that you feel overflowing with God? Christians don't walk alone and we don't walk empty-handed. We have green pastures and still waters. We have been blessed by the Holy Spirit. We walk overflow. It, it should grieve us when we cannot find any joy in our midst. Whether it be our enemies or death that surrounds us, it should grieve us why we can't find any joy in our midst. Even when the, the ugly curse raises its head and causes suffering to plunge upon us, we should say along with David, you have made my cup overflow. We have abundance. We have abundance so that we can feast in the presence of our enemies. Church, we need to become joyfully glad even as the world around us, our nation around us, our cities around us plunge themselves into all matter of evil we can be joyful in the midst of their destruction. And lastly, this wonderful conclusion of this great psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall flow, uh, follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The man who knows and trusts his shepherd, he knows that, he is a fount- that, that the shepherd is a fountain of, full of goodness, an overflowing fountain full of goodness. Besides still waters in the valley, he is good. Green pastures or surrounded by the enemies, God is good. This is just a Christian foundation to believe that God is absolutely, abundantly good. He is morally perfect and we can have absolute confidence in his goodness. Is this a declaration that we can read in the good times so that we remember it in the hard times? Surely goodness flows to me. Surely it follows me all the days of my life. We need this today so that tomorrow when hardship comes, when we are tired and and, and fed up with the mundane routines of life, we can remind ourselves that this is God's goodness to us. That every deliberate thing that happens is part of His providence. He's planned it, ordained it, deliberately for us. So that He would expose dross from us, sin from us, and present us as white. Not only goodness, but also mercy flows to us. If mercy flows to us, God is not treating us how we deserve to be treated. 
He does not punish us unfairly. He does not condemn us to death. In fact, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's mercy follows you every day. This is why you can confess your sins. It's why you can go to your brother or sister who you have sinned grievously and you can confess it and find absolute forgiveness without ever recalling it again. It's why you can confess to your children and your children can confess to one another and they can confess to you. It's why we as a church want to practice confessing sin every single day. Because God's mercy, the Good Shepherd, follows us all the days of our life. doesn't matter what sin you'll commit tomorrow. Come to Him in humble confession. Trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and walk in the newness of life that He offers. And finally, the greatest confidence of all. We dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We've spent so much time looking at the house of the Lord, its destruction in 2 Peter, uh, last few weeks in the book of Haggai, the house of the Lord being the dwelling place of God, the temple that was in Jerusalem. What we are reminded of is we dwell with God like Eden again, like Adam and Eve walking in the garden. We are reminded that our home is with Christ. We dwell with Him in both His death and His burial and His resurrection. We dwell with Him now every single day of our life. We are promised that we are seated at the, uh, in the heavenly places with Christ. And we will dwell with Him when He brings in His final heavenly and earthly home. We will dwell with Him even when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death and death takes us. We go to dwell with Christ. I love David's other famous psalm, Psalm 84 verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The courts were the outer area. He's not even talking about dwelling next to or in the presence of God. He's talking about dwelling, being a doorkeeper or, or one day in your courts in the outer area is better than a thousand anywhere else. Just being near to God is better. But David in Psalm 23 says, no, we will dwell in the house of God forever. We'll dwell with him in holiness. This is our final confidence. Psalm 23 is a psalm that is to be remembered in every season of life. That we are led by a good shepherd. Whether it's in green pastures, beside still waters, in the valley of the shadow of death, or surrounded by our enemies, we can be sure that whatever it is, is His goodness and mercy going before us, following us all the days of our life. We can be sure that He leads us, walks with us in the midst of those. And we can be sure that we will dwell in His presence all the days of our life and forevermore. May this be an encouragement to us. Let's pray. Well, Holy Father, we thank you so much that you are our good shepherd and that our good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. We thank you that Jesus leads us 
into the valley of the shadow of death. He dies for us and He raises to life. We thank You, Father, that You take us beside green pastures and still waters with abundant blessing. And yet in times You take us into the darkest valleys and surround us in many enemies that we would come out strengthened with greater resolve. We pray, Father, that we would trust all Your goodness, know Your abundant, lavish mercy, and walk in confidence that we dwell with You in Your house forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.